From Vine Pairs New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. Guys, I mean... Hello. We made it to the end of... Thank- of, of I was going to say Thanksgiving, but November. <laughs> Which is pretty crazy. Is. I I feel like we're already in January one. I feel like people are just already like blown by December. Like, well, you know, uh, it's over. It's just because I feel like you come, you know, December has like those three weeks, and that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone starts, and people I think are going to start checking out in the next like two ish weeks. Um, it's so busy yeah. though. Such a it busy is so time busy, here. dude. This I just have been uh, nonstop, huh? Over uh, nonstop, nonstop. Yeah. It's just been nuts. Uh, Zach, yeah, you, though, what, you, what you if, missed, what if you, you missed podcasting even? That, yes. That's how busy you were. You couldn't make it for the podcast. I know. I couldn't make it for the podcast. Isn't that terrible? Yes. Yeah, thank you. You were missed. Thanks, Joanne. I'm so glad that you said yes. <laughs> Zach's probably like, it's the best day of my life. No. So you were very much missed. There. I mean, let's be clear. Tim and yes. Keith are both wonderful, but they're not you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. No one's me, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's funny. <clears throat> We won't comment on whether that's a good or a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's a no. It's a great thing. I'm a I'm a unique butterfly. Um, <laughs> you know, it is funny. I did get a lot of reactions in my Instagram feed, like you know, in my DMs as well as some emails about how apparently passionate I got on the tipping episode. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, wow, you really went there. I was like, look, sometimes you just got to make a case. Yeah. Well, the moment well, called funny. for it. I feel like. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's definitely like been. You're seeing it. I, I feel like it's a it's like a holiday season story now, kind yeah, of. Yeah, totally. Like, because mm-hmm. because always, I mean, I'll say this as a service professional for a long time. Like this time of year was always, it was like the best and worst all at once. You got like some of my most satisfying and like both you know <laughs> remunerative and just kind of fulfilling experiences serving came in the holidays, but also some of my absolute worst service experiences happen this time of year. And so I think it's like front and center, not that the service uh, industry and tipping isn't always a subject, but it seems like everyone is kind of picking up on this, like, holy shit, it's brutal out there right now. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It really is brutal out there right now. I mean, I'm not going to complain about some service experiences recently. So let's get into <laughs> instead. Um, Zach, what have you been drinking, man? Oh, that's a great question. Well, so a couple of things that have I've tried. So, uh, we did the taste test of uh, a couple of the uh, canned cocktails from Tip Top, uh, you know, a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. But they very kindly sent me four of the six that they produce. Um, cool. So I re- relatively recently tried uh, the margarita and the old fashioned, uh, mm-hmm. which we did not do on the podcast. Uh, the old fashioned, I think, the both of you have had before, and yeah. it's very good. It, it definitely, in my opinion, is of the four. It, I don't know if it's the best in terms of like the best canned rendition of the cocktail. Cause I think actually an old fashioned is maybe the easiast one to make work in the canned format. Yeah. But it was really so good. many shit ones. I, I, <laughs> I have tried fewer than you, so I will definitely take oh, there's, on that. There's so many shit ones. There's so many that just kind of taste like watered down sweet whiskey. Sweet. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, That's true. And the sweetness balance is, is spot on. on this on tastes like an old fashioned. Like, yeah, yeah. That's what I think they do well. And what I like about it is that it has an orange hue, so you know there's Angostura in it, mm-hmm. um, yep. which I think a lot of the other ones don't get right either. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's interesting because, yeah, I mean, I think it's I, I think it's interesting what you say because you would think it's the easiest cocktail to make, but it gets fucked up so much. 
<laughs> so much. Yeah. But okay, and what so what other did you so what four did you get sent? I got sent the Manhattan, the old fashioned, the Negroni, and the Margarita. Oh. And Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. interesting. And the Margarita I thought was it's interesting to me that like we've we've had so many conversations with canned cocktail producers on the podcast or or RTD cocktail producers and citrus is like, you know, it's the white whale for that category, right? It's just it, no one I mean Everyone has a different approach to it. I thought it was really interesting, you know, um, when you interviewed Aaron Polsky from Livewire. Yeah. Um, you know, they really don't use citrus, um, mm-hmm. fresh citrus intentionally because they just don't think it works in that format. I thought, I, you know, the Tip Top one does. I think it's good. And I think, like, let's be clear, if I was on an airplane or some of these other use cases that we talked about when we discussed them, I think I would be very satisfied with that margarita. Yeah, but me too. my response and my wife's was kind of like, Mm, I would make a better margarita at home because I can make, (laughs) I can juice, I can juice the limes at home. Like that's not a, that's not a criticism of the product. Like I, that's just a reality of like, there are some things the can format is great for. And there are a lot of cases where you don't want to have to do any of the prep, let let alone all of the prep. But a margarita to me is that one, one of those cocktails where like, for me, if I'm going to drink one, I kind of want to put the effort in. And so I was just sort of like, eh, it's good. I'm sure that at some time, at some point, we will find a time to drink all of these because, like, it's very handy to have uh, mm-hmm. for sure. But I was a little bit like, I this one I would make myself. Um, if the next time I want a margarita, I will just make my own. Um, and then the other thing I had recently that I uh, was really kind of surprised by, um, you know, there's this trend, and, and actually, it's going to weirdly tie in a little bit to today's topic. Um, mm. But but there's this this growing trend of. Um, you know, whole cluster fermentation and really uh, in wine and in red wines, you know, in particular things like Pinot Noir, Syrah, et cetera. And in um, making um, these wines that are, uh, you know, it's, it's just a winemaking approach. I don't want to get too deep into it, but uh, someone I know in this, in the Washington wine industry makes um, a lot of really um, delicious Syrah that I enjoy. And he kind of on a uh, whim made a kind of carbonic maceration, whole cluster Syrah. And he gave me a bottle and he was like, you know, tell me what you think. He's like, you know, I'm not really sure uh, what I think of it, basically. But, you know, I I wanted to try this. And I've been like, I've had some examples of this kind of wine that I like and a a lot that I'm sort of like, "Eh, I'd rather just have more conventionally made Syrah. Um, But it was really good. It was fun. It was like fresh and and bright and juicy and in good ways, um, but had but had good sort of structure to it. It wasn't uh, to reference last week's episode. It wasn't funky or, or mm-hmm. maybe it was crunchy. I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but that was fun and, and, uh, and a little bit out of my normal drinking repertoire. So, uh, kind so of a fun one for me. So, but, but nice. so question for you, like when it's whole, cl- I mean, a lot of people are doing whole cluster, but just because it's whole cluster doesn't mean that it has to go through carbonic, but he chose no, to also not. do carbonic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So carbonic is what's so interesting to me because I had a winemaker recently, um, you know, a winemaker who has a, you know, a, a master's degree in winemaking. So to be clear, I think that's important because like, yes, actually yes, understand yes. Science, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. And he said to me that the issue he has with carbonic is that carbonic maceration does the same thing as other sort of more what have become like natural wine tactics can do where it allows in a compound. I can't remember what the compound is, but it literally causes the creation, no matter who does carbonic of a compound that tastes like bubble gum. Mm. Yeah. 
And so he's like, that's why you can make like a Zinfandel taste like bubble gum. That's why he's like, it actually doesn't taste like the grapes. It literally like morphs the grapes into tasting like bubble gum. So you yeah. get this like juicy, tutti fruity flavor, regardless of the grapes you're using. So he's like, I don't do carbonic because that's like not what I'm looking for. When, as you were saying, I'm doing a Syrah. I, like, I don't want the Syrah to somehow like make you think it's Gamay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. I never knew that. I never knew that it like actually causes this compound to be created that gives off aromas and flavors of bubble gum. Um, and that that happens regardless of the type of red grapes you use. Um, which, you know, again, I think just goes to show that there are things that are trendy, but we kind of don't know why. And they're all then creating wines that kind of taste the same in the same way that you can have a tactic that brings in bread, right? And then the bread mm-hmm. causes all wines to kind of taste like kombucha. It doesn't matter what grapes you used. Um, so anyways, really, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I think my experience with with that sort of bubblegummy flavor or aroma in in these carbonic maceration wines is is that unlike to some extent something like Britannomyces and yeah. the, the aroma and flavor it imparts on the wine is that it's much more volatile and it kind of doesn't linger in the glass for very long. So it's kind of like you open the bottle or you pour a glass and yeah, you get hit with that like it's almost like banana kind of note um, that I feel Judy like fruity. comes from yeah like carbonic maceration and it's true. I think that's very much a uh, uh, something about the the fermentation method as opposed to the variety itself, but yeah. I don't feel like it lingers too long, which I guess to me makes it like tolerable as a component in the flavor and like something that I can, you know, kind of get past. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, like I said, there's a reason why this is not the style of wine that I drink very often right. um, mm-hmm. for, for that reason and others. So I don't know. Joanna, what about you? What have you been drinking? Um, well, I was, I was a little under the weather last weekend, so I, I haven't been drinking too much, but, um, since we last recorded, I suppose, but, um, I did have some really excellent scotch. I've had a few very Ooh. good scotches lately. Um, I don't know if I'm do tell allowed yes. to share, um, you can share for various reasons. Um, <laughs> some, some of which are, you know, coming up on our uh, 50 best spirits list, maybe. Um, Maybe don't share that one then. (laughs) (laughs) I won't share that one. Just some brands then. Some Mortlock, Talsker, and some Johnny Walker. Have you been to Scotland before? I have not. Mm. I would love to go. Yeah, me too. Adam, have you been? I've been once with Josh uh, for a very quick trip. And basically, we spent the whole time oddly in Edinburgh. And uh, it was was with like a, a brand like four years ago, I think. Um, but so I did, I only, we only went to actually like one single malt distillery mm-hmm. and actually could not tell you the name of that single malt distillery. Although I bought a tie <laughs> cause I really liked their pattern. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like their plaid. Um, but that was the first time I had ever also like, while I was in Edinburgh, we went to like the original or one of the original um, tasting rooms for Brewdog. Hmm. Oh. Um, oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> It was like this brand was kind of like, oh, yeah, come to Scotland and, like, check out this new release we're coming out with. Uh, by the way, like, do your own thing during the day. So, like, no. we, like, literally went to di- – I think we went to one facility with them, went to dinner twice, and then kind of did our own thing. It was, like, the most yeah, – nice. it was, like, it was like the chillest press trip you'd ever go on. Like, most press trips <laughs> were, like, this is super regimented. See all these things we need you to see. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, so I've been once. I would like to go back. Also, you know, they have, like, a insane cocktail scene. Like really? really, really, really incredible bars apparently that are like, cool. you know, all really interesting. There was one we went to that like was – it's a kind of a faux ice cream shop. Mm-hmm. Another one that like had a vending machine where you can buy cocktails out of it. Like they really take their cocktail 
culture very, very seriously in Edinburgh. Cool. cool. Yeah. What have you been drinking, Adam? Oh God, guys, it's been a long week. Um, <laughs> well, you can really. start the list now. Hopefully we have time the whole episode. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, really. Uh, so on Tuesday, I went to one of my favorite uh restaurants and wine bars in new york city if not my favorite lalu um <laughs> which is uh in prospect heights um i took two um two friends uh who work at a very large spirits company um there because they had never been also we're like can we go somewhere in brooklyn because i live in manhattan and i always love when that happens i'm like yeah sure we can go to brooklyn <laughs> like, it's, it's fine um but went to lalu and had some some really amazing uh white burgundy <laughs> Nice. Because, you know, and then did that again on Wednesday night when we were in D.C. as a reward for the staff for a really um, excellent event that we did uh, where I had White Burgundy. And then last night I had another meeting where uh, on Thursday night I went out with some really awesome people we also work with. Uh, and we went mm -hmm. to the Hawksmoor, which mm -hmm. opened in New York. It's like a, a you know, a very well-known steakhouse in um, in London, they're very much known for their cocktail program. And I had the coldest Manhattan in New York City. Coldest Manhattan uh, sorry, or sorry, Martini? Cold, sorry, I had the coldest Martini. Someone else had the coldest Manhattan. They do it with the Martini, the Manhattan, and the Gibson. Amazing. So they've gotten a lot of press just for the Martini, but they do it with all three. And um, what is it? What do they do? So basically, they batch the cocktail. So for mm -hmm. mine, I had, the, I had the Martini. They batch it. Then they run it through an atomizer that okay. actually like okay. – brings it through with like vibrations of water, et cetera, and makes, and like kind of mixes the cocktail. And then they get it down to negative 12 degrees Celsius. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and then they transfer it from there. So it doesn't freeze because it's all spirit. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they transfer it to insulated thermoses and they, oh, and they pre-dilute it. So they're very okay. clear with the dilution ratios. Mm -hmm. So, they said, like, you could mess this up if you try to do it at home if you don't get the dilution right. But, you know, they said they, they were very much encouraging. Like, this is how you should serve martinis at home if you have a party. And mm -hmm. then they get it super cold in the freezer, down to negative 12, pull it out, put it in thermoses for service where it stays at negative 12. And they pour it directly from the thermos into the uh, – they use Nick and Nora glasses, which I love. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, with then no garnish because it already has lemon oil in the martini. Mm -hmm. And then they serve it with a side of olives. Oh, okay. And hmm. it creates this incre the the cold temperature creates this amazing viscosity mm -hmm. that you just can't get by stirring the cocktail. You'll just never get it that cold. Um, and it's really really cool. Um, it was it was really delicious. And then one of the people that I was with had the Manhattan. Was like, wow, this is the best Manhattan I've ever had. And huh. it just it's because they just get it so so cold. Mm -hmm. um, and it just becomes really, really interesting and almost too easy to drink at that temperature. <laughs> like you kind, you know what I mean? Like you kind of forget it's spirit because all you get is like the spirit, like the the texture and the sweetness, and you get the lemon flavors, and you 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 get the botanicals of the gin, but you kind of lose the recognition of there also being like an alcohol burn, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it's just really cool, really cool. So that was probably the coolest drink I had this week in more ways than one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So totally. Uh, so Zach, we're talking about the top 50 list. Let's do it. All yeah. right. So you, you can, you <laughs> kick it off. Cause you're the one, you're the one asking the questions. 
I am the one asking questions. Well, so obviously for listeners, uh, longtime listeners, you'll know that every year uh, when we release our top 50 lists for wine, for spirits, et cetera, we, we love to kind of unpack some of the some of the bottles, some of the process. And, and I wanted to kind of start there with uh, the both of you kind of, you know, assembling any list is always a, you know, an arduous and maybe enjoyable task. But but <laughs> as far as the process for for listeners goes, you know, without getting into too much detail, like, Joanna, what is the what is the timeline on this? Like, when did you guys start working on it? And what is the kind of what does the process look like kind of from from start to finish? Yeah, sure. So so this is my first time doing it. Obviously, I started with Vine Pair in January of this year, but the process really does take the entire year, right? Because we're tasting wines, all year long and we're publishing reviews for those wines all year all year long and then and then it really we really start getting into it for the purpose of this list probably later in the year um where we you know do a call for submissions and have uh winemakers send us their wines for consideration for this list specifically um we taste through all of those wines and it's a lot um, and then um, we kind of call that list down to about 75 or 100 wines, and then we taste them all as a team, and uh, which is a very arduous process, as you said. Um, it's kind of very challenging. Again, this is my first time doing it. It was really hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, uh, and then we kind of decide on a top 50. And, and then we go through the process of tasting them all again and ranking them, which is also very challenging because there are a lot of great wines out there. Adam, is it harder to, to cut the list to 50 or to order those 50? It's both. I mean, and like, look, contrary to popular belief, like maybe what other publications do, uh, our list has no bearing on whether or not you advertise with us. Mm-hmm. Um, our list has no bearing on whether or not we have a relationship with you. Uh, it's we very much believe with everything we do editorially, there's a massive separation between church and state here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that also becomes challenging because you think about, oh, well, like, you know, were we, you know, were we sent these by someone because they think that we should include it, right? Um, I think we really try throughout the entire year to open every bottle that's that were sent and, mm-hmm. and taste it. And, re- and then, you know, obviously remember it through the, the ratings of the tastings team um, and then revisit it, but it does become really difficult. And I think, you know, as with any list, the other thing that we take very seriously is availability. Yes. Um, so what is different from us compared to like maybe a wine publication you may know uh, for people in their seventies Um is that uh you know we're not we're not going to feature a wine that only they they only made like 500 bottles of mm-hmm. you know or a thousand bottles of it's just like not our style um we want you to be able to get these wines um obviously there will be wines that may be like the vintage is done right by mm-hmm. the time the list comes out like we we have no sort of control over that um but we want to get we want you to be able to taste these wines and we also want to feature you know, wineries and wines that we think you should be aware of that you may have just even an unconscious bias about, right? So one of the wines I think that, you know, is purposefully on this list is Vox Vinetti. Mm -hmm. And it is purposefully here because 
you know, they are making some of the best wine on the East Coast and they're in Pennsylvania. And, mm-hmm. you know, this we think is one of the great wines they're making. They're, they're Nebbiola, but we think they're making lots of other great wines as well at the property. Um, and they're proving that, like, you don't have to go to – I mean, I know we've had this debate on that podcast before about like California, you know, determining great wine in America, but <laughs> they do prove that you don't have to go to California to make great wine, that you can make it in other places in the country. Is it harder? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think the, the team there works really, really hard to make really great wine because of all of the issues that you have in Pennsylvania with, you know, freezing temperatures and then it can get hot and humid during the summer and can be wet some years, but they've done a really great job. And that was then important to us to say, okay, like let's highlight something. Same with a wine, you know, a wine on the lake from Texas. Like Mm -hmm. we really are trying to show that there's a lot of really incredible wine out in the world. um, And that it's not just focused on like France, Italy, California. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. But it's really hard. It's really hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I'm sort of I'm sort of both jealous and glad that I'm not a part of it. Um it feels it feels like a lot of like you know, there's there's so much that goes into that sense of, you know, when you when you finally, I guess, put together a list and, and say, you know, for twenty twenty one, these are the wines. Like obviously you get there's always like a but there's also this other stuff. You're or, always gonna piss you know, people off. Well, that's like, wait, I sent you you know, I sent you this and like I don't understand why this didn't make the list. And you're like because we taste thousands of wines. Like I, you know, your wine probably is really great. And like, I, I'm sure, but, and we did taste it. We did like it, you know, but we tasted a lot of other stuff that we also loved. And it's just, it's really, it's really hard. Cause I know that these lists are great for producers as well, because they help, you know, they, they hopefully help them sell bottles and, you know, it's great recognition and things like that. Um, but they're really hard because there's just, there is a lot of great wine out there. I mean, there's also a lot of shit wine out there. Um, but I like to believe there's more great wine than shit wine. Yeah. So, okay. Let's talk about some, you know, either, um, trends or maybe even specific wines on this list. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the thing that I said before we started recording to you, Joanna, is like the first thing I, I noticed when I scrolled through the list when it came out the other day is like, you know, Pinot Noir has showed well this year. And I mean, mm-hmm. obviously Pinot Noir is very popular and makes excellent wines. But, you know, is there something that you felt like about Pinot Noir in particular that felt like, okay, we're going to have um, a, you know, a, a good number of Pinot Noir based wines on this list? Or is it just kind of like, that's what happened this year? Yeah, I think um, there are five uh, Pinot Noirs on this list. Five, I think they're all from California, if that's right, um, Adam. I believe so, yes. Yeah. Um, um, Yeah, I mean, as we were tasting, we were kind of like, oh, this is really good. Oh, it's another California Pinot Noir. Um, So we definitely tried to be mindful of that. but, But I think ultimately, like Adam said, it just came down to these were the wines that we really loved um, that we were trying. So, so. I think I think what's important about this list is that it kind of, like you said, Zach, it, it Pinot had a great year. That that is reflected in this list, um, and so so yeah, we wanted to be mindful of that of how many we included, but also didn't want to say we can only have one, yeah, because there were a lot of good ones. And I want to be really clear, like I think what sets us apart as well uh, as a publisher is we we don't have this list be determined by like people on our tastings team who are experts in like the region right so i guess what i'm trying to say is like i know other lists have been built where like for example like 
the person who runs the tastings for California and Bordeaux, for mm-hmm. example, puts up their wines and like that, those are those wines. And then the person who like, this is like, these are all, yeah, the we wines. don't have that. Right. These are all the wines that the tastings team loved this year and they taste from all over the world. We don't have anyone who specializes. Right. Um, but then also when we do the full creation of the list, the entire editorial team joins, including people from our art department, mm-hmm. including people who maybe write more about spirits or beer. Um, and I actually think it gives a really much more diverse set of opinions, mm-hmm. which makes the list so much more interesting because we're not like you don't have someone ever in this creation of this list who says well none of you like this wine but i'm a specialist in napa and this is how great napa should taste and you're fucking wrong so this is going at three (laughs) Mm -hmm. right because i've been tasting napa for 20 years and this is the best expression i've ever had in my career of napa and so i don't care that you don't know like because again, this list also should reflect that if you buy any of these, you will think they are fucking delicious, mm-hmm. and that's really important to us. Whether you are a collector, which a lot of collectors do read this list, we know that we know people who go out and buy lots of bottles of these once they've seen them on the list. But you could all, should also be able to use this if you are a casual reader of Vine Pair and you're trying to figure out what bottles to bring to Thanksgiving or what wines you want to mm-hmm. give people, et cetera. That's really important to us. And that's why we have such a, you know, a large group of people who finally taste and help order the list at the end. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's it, it very much shines through when you look at these lists every year that there's no slotting, right? There's no like, okay, well, we need to have five wines from you know Napa and four right. wines from Bordeaux and three Berg. You know, there's none of that. It's like whatever you guys think the best wines of the year were, they go on the list, and it doesn't matter if it's five California Pinot Noirs or if it's you know a Saparavi uh, from upstate New York. Like exactly, it, it's just it's just like whatever you think is best. And I think that's a very commendable thing and and something that list, most listeners are not going to be aware of. That like definitely some of the other lists have a lot more of a okay, we have to reserve this many slots for this type yeah, of wine, totally. and this many mm-hmm. for others. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that try. I, that makes it kind of challenging. I mean, additionally challenging because we want to have some amount of balance. Um, But, but yeah, that's kind of how it comes out. So I think one of the most interesting, I guess, categories that's represented on here in a few different ways is sparkling wine. And in particular, a lot of sparkling rosé is Mm -hmm. maybe that goes along a little bit with the kind of, you know, uh, some of them are well, at least one of them is made from Pinot Noir. Um, I'm not sure about the others actually, but you know, the is there something about pink bubbles that's having that's having a moment in 2021 too? Um, that is a good question. I I didn't really notice that now that you I didn't it notice up, that though. either actually. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, is there anything? With, I'm like, please try not take this question. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> not to, not to um, spring it on you guys. I guess maybe there's just three, but it it, it popped out to me because it's it's probably about half the sparkling wines on here are are sparkling rosé, which is I think mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. No, I I mean there were definitely some standouts. We we did try a lot of sparkling wines as well. Um. And, you know, the Dom Maria Brazilian sparkling rosé we thought was really interesting and something different. And and that's why we wanted to add that to the list. But, but yeah, the others, I think, um, we just really liked. Fair enough. I'm trying to no, find them never, on the list. Yeah, <laughs> never a long time for sparkling rosé. So uh, yeah. I'm, I'm there with you. Um, <laughs> Adam, I, I, I know that, um, you know, the, the question that I guess I should have asked before, but but is, comes up is also, you know, to what extent does 
um, you know, are, are wines that have been on the list in the past, are they excluded or, or how does that work? Like, you know, in terms of not having the Good same question. wines, because I'm Good sure question. that some of the Ooh. wines yeah. on the list in previous years are, you know, the, the 20, whatever still the current delicious. vintages is still great. Yeah, I want to be very clear. I want to put this out there. Cogno is still one of my favorite Barolos in the world, right? <laughs> it was number one wine like a few years ago. Like we're not like mad at Cogno and like they're not – it's just – it's really hard, right? Because like once – okay. So this is, again, you're going into politics of list creation here, which <laughs> – Well, of course. That's what's interesting. Once you're number one, we can't put you number one again for a very long time. But we also can't demote you, right? Mm-hmm. So we can't be like, hey, like this wine's now number seven, Mm-hmm. Right, but we put it one like in 2018. That to us feels really weird. It's like, wait, so then what are how do we justify that? Are we going to say that something happened in the winemaking, like that you know did, was it a bad vintage? Like we really, you really have to justify that. It's like we're, if we're going to drop you, like mm-hmm. you know, we best drop you, and <laughs> we better have a real good reason why. And that's we just can't do that. The other thing, so usually if a wine makes the list again, it's because it's come up. In ranking, so like you might see something that was in like the twenties or the teens that gets into the the you know the single digits one mm-hmm. you know in a future year, but more often what happens is you will see a wine potentially from the same producer but a different wine featured. It's mm-hmm. very rare that you would ever see the same wine featured from the same producer. We really try not to do that. It can be difficult sometimes, but like you know. Look, like, so for example, like, is it possible that another Hirsch, which is the number one wine of the year this year, is featured in a list in the future? Yeah. Will the Hirsch Pinot Noir, probably not Hirsch, enjoy that, use that, say you were the 2021 number one wine of the year, (laughs) use that for the next 10 years? Because, uh, you know, the Hirsch Pinot Noir, which is amazing, like, oh my God, I love that wine so much. Like, love it, love it, love it. It's, you know, how can we make that number seven in, you know, in in 2023? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. We're saying this is the best wine of the year. So just hold your spot, man. It's like when you win the NBA (laughs) championship, you may not win it again. Don't know what to tell you. Yeah, you hang that banner. That banner. Hang the the banner. Hang the banner. (laughs) Okay. So I have, I I think, like two last questions for each of you on this, on this list. Obviously, there's so much more to get into. And obviously, if you haven't taken a look at it, you should definitely look through, read the reviews, all that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. Okay. So, so first question is for each of you outside of the top 20, like, give me one wine that you're like, just go try this people. Like, obviously people are going to look at all, the whole list, but they're going to focus at the top. That's generally what people do, but something from 21 to 50 that you're like, go try this people. It's awesome. I, I just give it a shot. I'll take that uh, first. I really enjoyed the, um, I mean, I enjoyed all all of them, um, but the Hungarian Shamloy uh, Vandor Harsh Levelu was really delicious. And that's at 25. Um, this Hungarian white was very delicious. And and also the the um, Brazilian sparkling rosé that I mentioned as well. That's at 21. Also go. great. Plus you get to practice your, Hungar- your Magyar pronunciation, yeah. which is always fun. Was that okay? I think it was good. I'm not the expert, really but, but it sounded plausible <laughs> to me. Anyhow, you, Adam? I'm going to try to give you one from each of the other sections. Nice. Ooh, okay. So in the 40s, mm-hmm. right? First of all, everyone should know the 50th wine because it's it was in our top uh, 25 rosés this year. That's a dope wine, and Alpha made the number one wine last year. So I'm not going to talk about that much. Number 43, Chapel Down. Uh, mm-hmm. This is you know further proof for anyone who wants to – try to understand why everyone's so excited about sparkling wine being made in England. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a really amazing 
non-vintage brute. Uh, yes, I get it's 43 bucks, and you can get non-vintage champagne for around that, but not of this quality um, mm-hmm. for that price. So you should get this. It's a really cool bottle. And again, it's a really great conversation starter. Uh, just really, really amazing. Um, so I will say I'm going to do I'm gonna cheat a little bit. 39, scribe Pinot Noir if you can get it. It'll show you what the fuss is about. It'll show you yes. why people are obsessed with winery. Love it. It'll make you under. Yeah, it'll totally make you understand why there's a way to, you know, p- people join and, you know, are just so rabid about it. It's it's just a really beautiful wine. Um, so that one I think is interesting just to see. I've already talked about 37, but again, just fucking mm-hmm. expand your palates and understand that they can make good wine in Pennsylvania and stop mm-hmm. coming at me telling me that, you know, <laughs> ooh, I don't believe you. Just get Well, that. and you're, so you've, also always, you've also always championed Nebbiolo outside of Italy. Yeah, totally. I think in, in Virginia as well, if I recall. I have. I've, I've look. If you can, if if you can, if you make the fruit quality, look. Does this Nebbiolo taste like Barolo quality or even Longue quality? No, it doesn't. It tastes completely different. It's being grown in Virginia. It has a little bit more of, and this is going to you know be only for a very s- small subset of our listenership, but like it, maybe a, a quality like Valtellina a little okay. bit, mm-hmm. right? But it's really delicious. It's really delicious. The thing that's kind of missing from it is the really aggressive tannins. Okay. It has mm-hmm. much more of a very light Pinot Noir style to it being grown here with really beautiful, bright acidity and, you know, just notes of strawberries and, you know, really bright red fruit. And that the tannin aggressiveness isn't there as much, which I okay. thought was really interesting. And it's mm-hmm. a much lower alcohol. Um, so that's that one. Um, I would also call out also in the thirties, but I mean, come on, get it, get that CL Boutude from Texas. Just come on. Yes. Our Texas. Don't be, don't be snobs. Uh, and then look, I mean, you know, I love her, so I'm going to call it out. And we talked about it at the very beginning, number 26, Inman family, whole bunch of love. I think Kathleen Inman is one of the most exciting winemakers in Sonoma. She deserves a lot more attention than she gets. Uh, she's just a really, she's a great person. She's a beautiful winemaker. She's making, you know, wines that everyone would qualify as natural. Um, but they are, mm-hmm. they're just beautiful and clean and so, so delicious. Um, I love this wine so much and it was really beloved by everyone on our team. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, those, those will be my specific call outs for anything above 20. And then my last question for both of you, since this is running right before Thanksgiving, is a bottle not yet mentioned that you would take to your Thanksgiving. <laughs> Good question. I mean, I think I would take the the Halcyon Wines Cab Franc. Yeah, oh, I, saw, I was hoping you'd say that one. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's very light bodied. I think it would go with a lot on uh, on the Thanksgiving table, and it's uh, very juicy as well. So can I not mention it because I already mentioned it as number one? I can't say Hirsch. That's correct. (laughs) Fucker. There's like 30 wines that haven't been mentioned yet. Yeah. I I always go with number one. No, I would totally do Carlo Giacosa, uh, Giacosa Barbaresco. I mean, come on. Y'all know that Nebula is my favorite grape, but why would I not settle for number two? Poor guy. Yeah. Yeah. Carlo Giacosa was an amazing, amazing wine. Um, You know, I think is really neck and neck with the Hirsch. People loved both. Um, and obviously, as you can see, the, the Carlo Giacosa is about half the price of the Hirsch. Um, so, you know, especially if you're a if you're a Nebbiolo fan, like go get this bottle of wine. It's really, you know, just stunning. Um, and at forty six bucks, it's is a, a pretty fair price for for high quality Barbaresco. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I want to say one last thing because I I would also uh, the Anselmo Mendez Tempo Orange Wine, which is number three on the list, was also amazing, um, and one that I wanted to mention because I think that could be a fun and flirty Thanksgiving pick. Yes, flirty's not usually my Thanksgiving speed, but that's cool. <laughs> too busy eating. Uh, I'll be kicking my feet up with uh, some Charles Heidsick Blanc de Blanc because my nice. um, perhaps my favorite of the big house producers in champagne yes. and yes. make excellent wine. And that is delicious. And it's always fun for me. You know, it's always cool to look at the list and be like, Oh, here's a bunch of stuff that I've never tried. And then there's a, there's always some wines on here that I'm very familiar with. And that is definitely one of them. And I, I love to go drink wine now. I, know. <laughs> I think we should. Cool. All right, guys. Right. Well, this has been fun. Have a, have a really happy Thanksgiving. Yes, uh, and I'll talk too. to you on Friday. Thanks guys. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.